0: for cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every gravy podcast, SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith.
1: This year, the SFA is thinking about futures, about promising and worrying and confounding future Souths. To imagine Southern futures, we are compelled to consider climate change.
2: To that end, this season of Gravy focuses on understanding how global climate change now affects and will continue to affect food in our corner of the world.
1: We have stories to share about how the loss of farmland, which is happening all over the South, could exacerbate climate change and its effects.
2: We talk about the responsibilities that restaurants bear to make change, one plate at a time.
1: Food waste? Yep, we'll go there too.
2: To understand how climate change now reshapes our world and our pantries and our palates, we begin with a peach.
1: A keen peach, fluent with juice. Climate change presents a new big challenge for peach growers.
2: Scientists predict that rising temperatures and new precipitation patterns could breed diseases and pests, degrade soil, and decrease crop yields.
1: The South, where temperatures are predicted to soar and floods to increase, will get hit hard.
2: In this episode of Gravy, we bite deep into the story of a Georgia peach. We look at what scientists and farmers are doing to adapt, and we ask, in 20 years, in 50 years, Will peaches still thrive here? I'm John T. Edge.
1: And I'm Melissa Hall. We're your hosts for Gravy. 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 Gravy.
2: A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells new and complicated stories about the changing American South.
1: Reporter Irina Zhurov takes us to Georgia.
3: It's a late July morning in Macon County, Georgia, on Lawton Pearson's peach farm. Temperatures are already hovering around ninety degrees. Should we describe how sweaty we are?
4: <laughs> I can't. You just I'm glistening, and I understand. Imagine picking peaches and carrying fifty pounds of peaches back and forth.
3: Sixteen pickers wearing backpack-sized satchels strapped to their fronts hustle from fruit-laden tree to waiting wagon. It takes about a minute for each man to fill his satchel, about three to four minutes for the team to fill a hot tub-sized bin. Israel Aguilar, the farm's field supervisor, scans the trees for missed fruit. He's looking for peaches that are deep yellow with a red blush, that means they're ready for picking. Lawton says the peach variety they're picking today is called Flame Prince.
4: It was developed to be a firm, high-colored, late-season peach, and it was selected for that. Before this, we had no peaches. Like, we would be done
3: by now. We've grown used to having peaches in the store pretty much anytime we want them, but peaches are actually really ephemeral. Each peach variety is ripe for just about 10 days out of the year. To produce a steady summer harvest, Lawton plants varieties that ripen at different times, each cultivar filling a short block on his picking calendar. Right now, he depends on about 35 different varieties in order to harvest from May to mid-August. Thousands exist in the world. The Flame Prince was developed in the late 1980s by a Georgia-based peach breeder named Dick Oakey at the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Fruit and Tree Nut Research Station in Byron, Georgia. In addition to filling a particular ripeness window, this peach does a few other things. For one, despite Israel's call to pick it yellow, it ripens to red, unlike previous generations of Georgia peaches.
4: In the 90s, we had our retailers say, I don't care what they taste like, don't send them up here. These were completely yellow peaches. We can't sell them because California and um, the, the breeders out there had established that red is ripe. If it's, if it's not red, nobody wants it. They don't think it's ripe.
3: So Dick Oakey created red peaches. He made big peaches that thrived in Georgia's humid, hot climate. You can recognize his varieties because they all carry the Prince name. There's Blaze Prince, Scarlet Prince, July Prince, Sun Prince, Spring Prince, Gold Prince. The Prince name is an ode to his predecessor, Victor Prince. Each prince offers something slightly different. Together, they shape a lot of Georgia's modern peach production. But the peach is always a work in progress.
4: You can always get better. And this, this variety, good as it is, is not perfect.
3: Peaches are native to China. They were introduced to this continent twice the first time by Spanish colonizers in the 16th century. Those trees grew wild all across their new territory. The second time was in 1850. That year, a couple of peach trees from China arrived in South Carolina. They became known as the Chinese Kling.
5: And Chinese Kling was kind of a fruit that became the foundation of the commercial peach industry in North America.
3: This is historian Tom Oakey, the breeder Dick Oakey's son. In his own way, he's taken up the family business. He wrote a book called The Georgia Peach. He says breeders created new varieties from the Chinese cling, selecting fruit for traits that would thrive in the South. The growers wanted to make the fruit commercially viable, but also fruit trees were seen as a way forward for what some intellectuals of the day considered the backward South. Growing fruit contrasted with the brutal system of enslaved labor and staple row crops.
5: Like tobacco and cotton, primarily. Those were not crops that lent themselves to a beautiful, highly maintained and sculpted landscape. uh, or, Or to a permanent civilization. So there was a lot of thought that horticulture, that growing fruit, and especially trees, would make people more settled and that even the skills required to, to prune and graft and take care of these trees would, would actually make people more cultured. As you're culturing the trees, you're culturing the people as well.
3: And it turns out Georgia, specifically middle Georgia, was a perfect place to attempt this new utopia.
5: The beaches that grew in Georgia were the earliest beaches on the markets of Philadelphia and New York and Boston.
3: So they got so, like a reputation, like here come the Georgia peaches.
5: Uh, yeah, exactly. So peaches were kind of, I, I think, for people living in cities, were, were sort of like a, a reminder that the winter was really going to be over.
3: The Northerners started to see their arrival of Georgia peaches as good news. It helped change how they saw Georgia more broadly. Lawton Pearson's great-great-grandfather got into peaches in the late 1800s.
4: He was in the timber business, and everybody started planting peach trees and talking about how great it was.
3: For five generations, the Pearsons have stuck with it. Lawton returned to the family farm after law school in 2005. The Pearson farm is one of a handful of major growers in the state. Today, California grows by far the most peaches in the U.S., and South Carolina even outproduces Georgia. We can get peaches year-round, and horticulture no longer seems the epitome of civilization. But the cultural idea of the Georgia peach remains, especially in Georgia.
4: It's still an icon. It's still a big deal for people here.
3: Many Georgians have personal histories with peaches, even if their family no longer grows them.
4: And so everybody's got some experience with what peach season is, the peak of work, sweat, Bloods, wet and tears of peach season and the joy of something sweet.
3: The long history, one could call it mythology, of the Georgia peach means holdouts like Lawton will keep growing it, no matter the challenges. But just as peach growers in the past have faced issues from root rot and disease to market forces, Lawton is now facing a new problem, climate change.
4: If you look at historical data, we're a little bit warmer than we used to be. Our winters are a little bit warmer
3: peach trees need a certain amount of so-called chill hours to make fruit chill hours are the number of hours in a season below 45 degrees fahrenheit as our planet warms cold days are harder to come by in georgia since the 1930s when data started being tracked in middle georgia the number of chill hours has decreased 10 percent every decade lawton says to him the changes aren't super dramatic but a couple hundred
4: hours makes a big difference
3: to this tree. The Flame Prince, for example, needs about 850 chill hours each season. Some varieties Lawton grows need even more. So what happens if they don't get it? 2017 was a warm winter. It had only about 450 chill hours, and the trees just couldn't deal.
4: It's the only time I've seen the plants tell me they didn't get enough chill. In the spring, the peach flowers first, and then the the green shoots start growing. In 2017, they wouldn't do it. They didn't flower. They didn't put on green leaves until May. I mean, it was dramatic. You saw, that tree's hurt, something happened.
3: That year, Lawton harvested just 20% of a normal crop. So he wants to be prepared if warm winters like the one in 2017 become more regular. As the wagon full of picked peaches drives off, Lawton ducks under a row of flame princes and walks over to a stand of smaller trees.
4: This is Liberty Joy.
3: This peach tree, the Liberty Joy, is one possible solution to warmer winters. It requires about 650 chill hours, about a quarter less than the flame prince. Lawton picks a crimson fruit and bites in.
4: It's peachy. I mean, it's a quintessential peach flavor. A lot of sugar. Really, really sweet. There's no no negatives to the, the flavor of the peach. It's fantastic.
2: Now we're going to take a short break, but we'll have more on the Liberty Joy. What a great name, the Liberty <laughs> Joy. And why making new peaches is a race against time.
1: The holidays have a whole new meaning this year. Time spent with loved ones has never been more welcome. I can't wait to share my newly perfected bread recipe delivered in my Blacklock Dutch oven. And I look forward to the sweet potato casserole and pumpkin pie I'll create in my Blacklock cast iron cookware. Named after Lodge's original foundry, each piece of Blacklock touts triple season cast iron for a natural nonstick surface. The lightweight design has the same versatility we've come to expect from Lodge. Their Blacklock cookware is ready to help us make the most of the holidays. For their help in sharing family recipes and supporting this gravy podcast, SFA thanks Lodge Cast Iron. Back to Irina Zhurov and the Liberty Joy peach.
3: The peach that would become Liberty Joy was first crossed in 2006 by Dick Oakey. In 2013, he retired. Shen Chen succeeded him as the station's research horticulturalist and kept evaluating Dick's crosses. He was the one that eventually named Liberty Joy. Joy would become his trademark name for new varieties.
6: One morning, I was a dream. I just wake up, oh, man, that's the proper word I use.
3: Joy, it would turn out, is an auspiciously cheery name for a line of peaches meant to solve grave problems. Breeders, especially those who work at publicly funded institutions like the USDA, work closely with growers. Industry shares what problems they're facing, and breeders adjust their research programs to troubleshoot accordingly. When Train Shan arrived, growers asked him to focus on two things— creating peach varieties that need fewer chill hours and varieties that can survive late spring frosts. Warm winters and unseasonal frosts have always happened, but chaotic, unpredictable weather is a hallmark of climate change. So Chen got to work. Chen is originally from China.
6: You know, I come from the, a farmer. My parents are always the Chinese farmers.
3: When he was in middle school, he begged his dad to plant some peaches on the farm.
6: My father planted about uh, half acre peach trees. Unfortunately, the sad never fruit a single fruit. After four years, my, my father cut them off.
3: At the time, Trenshan didn't know what the problem was.
6: Of course, I, now I knew what the reason. <laughs> because uh, the, the variety is not for the region.
3: Peaches are finicky. The soil, the weather, the heat, all affect how well they do. If they're bred in one area, it doesn't mean they'll thrive elsewhere. Trenchan learned this lesson early, and in a way, he's been atoning for that initial mistake ever since.
6: So that's, that's probably kind of an estimate of why I got to the horticulture's uh, career.
3: Trenchen is incredibly well-suited to the problem-solving role of a breeder. When I asked him if climate change seemed more daunting than the more familiar problems he remembered from his dad's farm, he shrugged it off.
6: The human encounter a lot of uh, disaster. The human try to also find uh, a solution or adapted to this uh, better thing. For example, we provided two cultivars that maybe have a little bit better to this better weather condition.
3: In 2015, a late frost destroyed much of the peach crop in 2017, there was that freakishly warm winter. As Lawton Pearson's commercial orchard suffered, so did trench ends experimental crops.
6: So so majority of my trade don't have fruit.
3: But as he surveyed the damage, he found some exceptions. The Crimson Joy and Liberty Joy.
6: The ch- Crimson Joy and the Liberty Joy. They set a fruit on both years.
3: Bad years are good for testing new varieties, for seeing if they actually solve the problems they're designed to solve. Crimson Joy and Liberty Joy did. When Lawton heard about that, he planted a sliver of his orchard with the Liberty Joy trees as an experiment.
4: When it's you have that really, really warm winter or marginal chill winter, so it gives us an extra bullet in the gun. For when we have iffy winters, we still have some, some light peaches that we can count on.
3: This has been Lawton's and other growers' approach to the climate change problem. Plant many, many different varieties so some of them produce peaches every year, no matter what the weather throws their way.
4: It's a moving target, and all you can do is is what we have decided to do, you know, is have a lot of bullets. say, so
3: we're gonna we're gonna figure this out,
4: but I'm not gonna fall flat because I've only picked one variety, and it didn't like the winter this winter. And now I'm just no, I just don't have any peaches right now. I'm gonna have a bunch of different varieties, so I've always got something. And some will fall flat, some will do great, but I need a lot of different kind of um, germplasm to secure that because they all act differently and every year they act
3: differently. But here's the thing, creating new varieties is a long, arduous process. Xenia Gasek runs the peach breeding program at Clemson University in South Carolina.
0: We are trying everything we can to ensure that the industry survives in any climate scenario, but it takes 15 to 20 years to develop a cultivars. The process starts when a breeder crosses two trees to make a new variety.
3: She watches the new seedlings grow in a greenhouse for a few years. A small percentage of these experimental varieties go on to be grafted onto rootstock to make a sapling. For a few more years, she evaluates the young trees. Then she picks out a small percentage of these and plants them in an actual orchard to see how they do under different conditions. From thousands of crosses, fewer than 1% varieties ever actually make it into commercial cultivation.
0: And many of them will never uh, be anything good. She says agriculture has
3: always adjusted to changing conditions. Like Tran she thinks peach breeders and
0: growers can adjust too. But the problem is, are we going to be on speed to adjust as fast as we are ruining this planet with our human activities, you know, and affecting the the climate change because that's basically what's happening. And so I think it's going to be tricky to try to answer the climate change because it's happening faster than what we can answer. In typical breeder fashion, Xenia is trying to solve that problem too. We are trying to Uh, uh, decipher the genome of peach and uh, see for each of the character, let's say bloom time, where is that region in genome which is controlling it. By figuring out what controls what
3: at the level of the genome, she can cut down the time it takes to figure out which varieties have the traits she's looking for. She won't have to wait 15 years to choose the winners
0: what I'm trying to do in my program. I'm trying to develop the DNA tests so I can test the material at the greenhouse stage. Standing between the Flame Princes and
3: the Liberty Joys, Lawton says peach growers have short memories. What I
4: remember is the last three years. I remember 17 was really, really warm. 18 was warm with a freeze. 19 was a little bit cooler, no freeze. 20 was a little bit warmer. I mean, we're within a couple hundred hours every year of about the same place, but we see varieties now that don't perform like they used to.
3: Trees, meanwhile, stay in the ground a while, about 12 years on Lawton's farm. And climate change stretches one's imagination into even more far off decades. None of this perturbs him.
4: Farmers in general are resilient people um the dirt is resilient these trees are resilient and i think whatever however the climate changes and you know however it cycles warm hot extreme we've in my mind we've been here for 140 years doing the same thing it's not altogether that much changed honestly so i don't foresee any dramatic widespread climate event that's going to change what we do dramatically we're going to adjust we're gonna have new varieties, new horticultural practices, all that. But at the end of the day, we're here growing peaches because it's a really good place to make peaches.
3: At least for now.
1: Gravy was produced by Irina Zuroff. Special thanks go to
2: Ah, we thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music and Jazar for our donor music. Managing Editor for Gravy and every other blessed thing we do is Sarah Camp Milam.
1: Mary Beth Lasseter serves as our publisher. Charlie Kyer helped with the mix.
2: Visit us at southernfoodways.org to watch films. You can peruse our event bibliographies, which is another way of saying you can get smarter. Or you can listen to our podcast there or anywhere else you choose to listen to pods.
1: While you're there, become a member or make a donation. Your dollars fund our work and help us make more gravy. I'm Melissa
2: Hall. I'm John T. Edge. Thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your ear.